Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. So good to be in the house of God, and good, and good to feel His presence and the richness of His glory in this house. Amen. It feels good to be in His house. I can't think of anywhere else I would rather be than right here in an apostolic service, feeling the richness of His presence. Amen. Especially after... As Brother Hilton has already said, after Sunday services, and if you compound that with all of the revival services we've been having and feeling God's presence so good to feel it continue on and feel the revival in the air, amen. It's more than in the air, it's in my heart, it's in my worship, it's in my living for Him, it's in our church, it's in the preached Word of God, amen. It's more than just, oh, you feel it just like the coolness in the air, it is actually taking part and becoming our DNA because God has called us to a place of revival, not of complacency. Right, saints? Amen, amen. I do count it an honor to be able to deliver the word that God has given unto me. And I want to thank Bishop Riggin for the opportunity to deliver the word. And God has laid in my heart. I found in my personal experience... Whenever God gives me a word, but maybe far in advance of when I'm given the opportunity to deliver it, I find myself really more so than probably normal, but really being in tune with God, knowing that there's something that God has laid on my heart that I'm going to have to deliver at some point in time, and it needs to just merge right in with that same vein of the Holy Ghost, the same working that God is intending for His children and I want to make sure that whatever God laid on my heart is what He wants and not me. And I want to always be sensitive to the ebb and flow of God's Spirit as He's leading His church, His people. And it's an honor to be a part of this process. If I can, by delivering the Word that God has laid on my heart, if I can get a few strokes of the oar in and get us going a little further, it'll be an honor of mine tonight. But I always want to obey what God has laid on my heart. Amen. The reason I make this statement is because we've been in, in some powerful services and services that leave a mark on you. I can say I've been in revival services all throughout my life and some with the Holy Ghost, some without. And I promise you the ones that we are on the heels of and with having Brother Zavala have been ones that have marked me. And we've had many visitors, many guests. And you can be a guest. You can walk in even... As a saint, and you can sit on the pew of attending many, many services and say that you have been to church and you can still leave not changed. It's just like as if you get close enough to the presence of God, it's going to make a mark on you. But you can have people who will hold the church at arm's length and they will leave and say, I went to an apostolic church on Tuesday night and they only smell like smoke, Brother Hilton. They only smell like, oh, you must have went to a campfire. They only smell. But when someone has truly delved into the Word of God and jumped into the presence of God and what God wants for them in that service, it leaves a mark. It burns you. It sears you. It says, listen, you're mine. You're feeling this because I want you to feel this. And we have the burning power of the Holy Ghost has already been in songs that we've sang tonight. And we want to say it burns within us. 
I'm reminded of an old song that I that come to my mind as I was preparing for tonight. We may have sang it before. I don't know. We don't have to sing it. But it says, something got a hold of me. Oh, yes, it did. Something got a hold of me. I went to a meeting one night, and my heart wasn't right. Something got a hold of me. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to leave with any doubts or questions, but it's reaffirmed through the presence of God that he wants to touch us here tonight. We don't have to be satisfied with something, but we need to know in whom we believe and know the power of the Holy Ghost is here with us. Through his word, he can reach down and change each and every one of us. Amen, amen. If you can turn in your Bible, this will be Bible study format for us tonight. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I have two verses of scripture in my text. And you can just hang out in 2 Chronicles if you would like. Chapter 20, and in that region, we'll be spending most of the time there. But in 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 20 through 21, it says, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. If we could lay our Bibles down, asking God to reach down and touch us, each and every one to minister to us tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Master, for this opportunity to lift our voices and our hearts unto you. We thank you, Master, for your touch of the Holy Ghost in this house. Let us yield our hearts, God, this flesh and mind. God, these lips, God, the breath that you have given to us. We yield it to you, God, for your glory and honor, and none of my own, God. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. To learn more about Jehoshaphat, we can read what Scripture says about him. We can read in 1 Kings chapter 22. It gives us a pretty good description of him. In 1 Kings 22 and 42 it says, And Jehoshaphat was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father, and he turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. So we see Jehoshaphat, and we'll be talking more about him as we go through the Bible study tonight, and Jehoshaphat became king of Judah. As the scripture says, when he was 35 years old, he reigned for 25 years. He instructed, actually he implemented sweeping changes 
into the land and pointed the people back towards worshiping God in a sense of taking away all of the high places as it's referenced in 2 Kings. He instructed Judah. They're in the divided kingdom and he is the king of Judah. And he sent out the wisest of the Levites to go through the land instructing the people concerning how to worship the true God. And these heartfelt acts brought riches and honor unto him. And he had respect from the neighboring kingdoms, and such as the Philistines and the Arabians. And they looked at him and respected what he was doing and saw the hand of God upon him. But he had some alliances that were not what you would say were good to have. We see in Scripture where they were a bit of a tarnish on his reign. He allowed his son to marry his son's uh, his son to marry the daughter of King Ahab, and he joined with Ahazai, the son of uh, King Ahab, and and through even though Jehoshaphat knew Ahazai did wicked things, he still pursued after a business venture with him, and if I remember correctly, lost everything in that business venture with the ships and. We find that even though he was pursuing after God, he made some mistakes. Story of probably everyone here in this house, even those that are listening, uh, have a heart for God. No one questions your motives, but we all make mistakes. We all stumble. We all um, have things that get us, and we have to make our way back to the house of God and place a prayer for us to begin to feel the forgiveness of God in our life. But overall, we see that King Jehoshaphat is known as a good king. Said that he followed in the ways of his father Asa, which as you read back in chapters 15, 16, and begin to see how his father uh, did some things that were good, he also did some things that were bad. But what must be pointed out is that King Jehoshaphat had a heart for God, even when his alliances with King Ahab was balancing precariously as the two kings were weighing the direction on whether or not they should engage in battle in Ramoth, with Ramoth-Gilead. And it was at the request of King Jehoshaphat that he brought the prophet Micah to give the word of the Lord when King Ahab was inquired of. And after the prophets of Baal had deceived had been deceived and, and declared a direction that was to bring destruction to the kingdom of Israel, King Jehoshaphat asked if there was a prophet of the Lord present that could deliver a word. We find that in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 7. And it says, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man, Micah, the son of Imlah, by whom you may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. That's a dangerous place to be, to where you hate the man of God in your life. It's a dangerous place, and you're playing with fire, and, and you can read the story on, and we won't go down. And, but he says, he goes on, for he, hath, he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Let not the king say so that Micah, 
which say things that are always bad towards me. You read through Dr. Albert Barnes. He makes this statement. He says, Ahab suggests to Jehoshaphat that Micah is one who allows his private feelings to determine the utterances which he delivers as if from Yahweh. Hence the force of Jehoshaphat's answer, let not the king say so. What he's saying is, let not the king suppose that a prophet would be guilty of such impiety or ungodliness. And what we find is, Jehoshaphat, seeing how this whole story unfolds, you'll see that uh, King Ahab didn't like the message, throws Micah in prison. The right thing is worth saying or doing every time. The right thing is worth saying or doing every time. Saints, God demands our loyalty and unison with him and will not swerve from the path of truth or righteousness for a hair's breadth to help our desires or ambitions fit within the parameters of what we think is right. Truth stands alone, as we've heard many, many times. And for us as people in our humanity and our flesh to try to shutter the, the voice of God in your life and tell them, oh, he only says bad things about me, would make me want to step back and look at my own life and say, what is it about me that God is always having to correct? Now, some people will come in and they'll sit on a pew and yet there is no obedience. There's people who will blatantly say, I will turn off the voice of the preacher by not coming to church. There are some people that turn off the voice of the preacher by hitting the red X in the corner and leaving the live stream or turning off the podcast or turning off the message that's streaming or, God forbid, turning off the TV set. They try to silence the voice of the preacher, but as we'll see here, it's not the way to handle things. When you have, thus saith the Lord, said unto us, it's time for us to respond. And as people who may not be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just because this apostolic message challenges you, doesn't mean it's wrong. It's right. Because it should challenge you. If the Word of God doesn't challenge you, that's where I would question in whom you have believed. God demands of us, do the right thing. And King Jehoshaphat was resolute in his pursuit of the Lord. He chose to hear the word of the Lord straight from the mouth of the prophet. Even if King Ahab said, I hate the man that you want to come speak. King Jehoshaphat says, I still want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear what the voice of the Lord has to say. I'm getting ready to put myself and my army, my military might behind this effort. I want to hear from God. We ourselves should be in the same boat. We should take the very same approach. Anytime we're faced with something, I, we shouldn't be going and saying, I wonder who's been down this path before, regardless if they're in church or out of church. It should be the voice of your pastor. 
that you reach for and say, Pastor, can you give me a word of wisdom? I'm praying about this situation. Can you help me? I want to hear the voice of the man of God in my life in all things. I am thankful that God has allowed us to have men of God in our life where it doesn't back down from truth. Even when perilous times, it seems, are happening in our life that appears to be a biblical proportions to where the godless are accusing and railing against those that do believe in God just simply for believing in a God. I'm so glad to have truth in my life that I can lean on and trust in. And we see, as we've read through some verses of Scripture, we see where King Jehoshaphat had some things that he had to decide on what to do, and he said, I want to hear the voice of God. You see where he had some situations come against him that we're going to get into and hear in just a moment. And he still pursued after the voice of God. He wanted to know what God wanted in his life. So we have a little bit better understanding of the character of King Jehoshaphat. And we'll get back to our text here in just a moment. But the setting for this passage of scripture is one that can be described as bleak and desperate. And in the return of King Jehoshaphat to Jerusalem after his interaction with King Ahab, he was confronted and reproved by Jehu, the son of the man that reproved his father, Asa, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. In 2 Chronicles 16, 7 and verse, through verse 9, 16 and verse 7 through 9, and at the time of Hananiah, the seer came to Asa, king of Judah. And said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubans a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet thou didst rely on the Lord. He delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. We see that King Asa relied upon the help of King Syria after God had proven himself to be faithful and took care of them when he talks about the Ethiopians and the Lubans, a huge host, and yet God took care of them. We find that when this happened, he begins to lean on the king of Syria and begins to say, baby, he can help me through this situation. We find that the man of God steps up and gives him the word of God. You can read further on in Scripture where King Asa threw this man of God in prison as well. He didn't like what the word of God had to say for him, the direction that he had. When we look at over how the same rebuke is delivered to King Jehoshaphat, the response is the complete opposite. If you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 19, 
in verse 1. We'll read through three verses of Scripture. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. You can look in your Bible and you'll see the interaction prior to this is where he and King Ahab had been having this discussion and the prophet was put in prison because he hated him and Ahab ends up dying and we come into chapter 19 and we see where King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Why are you linked up with someone who doesn't like what I'm trying to accomplish? Why are you linking up with King Ahab? The man of God's calling him out. He's telling him straight to his face. You just did the same thing your father did. You just tried doing the same thing on your own. And the man of God was there to meet him. Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. We find that with this pronouncement, Jehu, by Jehu, King Jehoshaphat went all in doing the right thing. We find in verse 4, he went throughout the people and brought them back to the Lord God their fathers. He set judges among the people and with strict instructions for the judges to judge for the Lord and not for man's own interest. He gave them clear directions. If you could say he wanted to make sure there was no doubt, just as Ahab said, the man of God judges me or tries to tell me what to do from his own personal opinion. He was making sure the judges, when they went out throughout Judah, they were not going to do their own interest. And as I previously stated, he went out and sent Levites out to educate them on, this is how you worship God. This is how we are going to do it going forward. You see, King Jehoshaphat was well-versed in history. He knew the path his father chose, and he made sure his path did not mirror the history that his father had created. And when we get to Second Chronicles, the chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, we see what has drawn the response from King Jehoshaphat and the people of God in the text that I read. In verse 1 of chapter 20, and it says, And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and, let, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And when he had received the bad news, the response was not of anger or to form a coalition with the neighboring kings, but he instead chose to put his face before God. And reading on in verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask the help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, 
they came to seek the Lord. What's really important and one of the key things that we want to take away from tonight's lesson is he went to the house of the Lord. It wasn't like life is so bad. I'm having such a bad day. I think I need to stay home from church. That wasn't a response from him, but it was, I'm going to point my face towards him. I'm going to call the people for a fast. If things are bad enough for me to be, uh, feel like I am being besieged by my enemy, then we're going to be in this all together. We're going to reach down and we're all going to dig deep. We're all going to reach into this and find an answer, but we're going to find it through the voice of God. He says, we're going to point our face and we're going to set ourselves to a fast. And then he says, he assembled himself into the sanctuary of the Lord. It says that in, when you read, I believe it's in verse 5 of chapter 20, and Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. That's in verse 5. So he did not go and, and... you know, he didn't go and dance around and say, what do we need to do this time? Or I'm not quite sure. I've been with other kings and leaders that's done it, handled it different ways. But what we find is King Jehoshaphat went to the house of God and he responded with a public prayer of frailty and vulnerability towards God. And he recognized the strength and the power of God. He calls on the recognition of what God had done in the past and the promises that had been shared by Abraham. And he starts out his prayer in verse 6 and says, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen in thy hand? Is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou, art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of his, is Israel? And gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. He's saying, listen, God, have you forgot about us? We're here fighting an enemy that we seemingly do not have the strength or the ability to overcome. Have you forgot about us? And it was out of desperation that he stood there before all the people and begins to lift his voice, being transparent and vulnerable, and begins to express his heart unto God in front of the people that he had serving him. He was their king. The call for deliverance was not to tempt God, but to call him at his promises to fight for his children. You see, the enemy that was about to fall upon them, which was nothing short of imminent death and destruction, but yet... He knew something about history, saints of God. You see, King Jehoshaphat brought their minds back to what had been promised to Moses and the children of Israel as they had wandered in finding their place in pursuit of the promised land. There were several areas that they traversed where God gave strict instructions not to engage the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. What was stated by God was the land was given by God to those people. And Israel was not to take what was not theirs. He says, they may look like a foe you can defeat, leave your hands off of them. 
And they had to give them a wide berth and leave those three tribes that were called out, leave them alone. Don't touch them. In that same passage of Scripture, you can go and read to where he says, but this people I'm going to give to you, you can go in and slay them and kill them and give them unto you. And, and they go in and have victory over them. But there were three enemies that they could have slain. God said, leave them alone, don't touch them. And going into verse 10 of chapter 20, and it says, And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade. This is Jehoshaphat giving this prayer. He's calling unto God, saying, Remember these three tribes when they came out of the land of Egypt, when they turned from them and was destroyed and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how reward, how they reward us to then come and take our possessions. And it says to come and cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. It may not seem like anything's fair in your life right now. It may seem like nothing is going right. It may seem like what is happening to me is not fair. I'm a child of God. This shouldn't be happening to me. I've been faithful to the house of God. I've been faithful in giving my tithe and offering. I've been faithful in prayer and serving him and never had a problem from me. And I'm not beating down the door of the pastor with problems all the time. And God, why is this happening to me? You brought me out of a life of sin and shame. Look what the world's doing to me. You may be sitting here tonight asking that very, very question. You can say, God, you gave this to me, and yet I feel it slipping through my hands in this very moment. It's about to no longer be mine. It's not fair. When I read what transpired, when I read what happens in the passage of Scripture I go back immediately to where Asa was rebuked by the man of God. And there's a passage of scripture that I find is fascinating. Because in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. You have a God that's going to fight for you. You have a God that is looking for an opportunity to fight a battle for you. The eyes of the Lord govern all of creation. And they are searching all ways known to man, whether they be good or bad. God sees all things. And he's looking every day in each and every one of our lives. How can I make myself strong in their life and it's upon our obedience to him our approach to him that allows God to bring victory unto us it's about how we approach problems of life you may be without the Holy Ghost you may have never experienced this apostolic message and the truth that this truth church preaches and you may say, I have so many problems that there's no way God could even address them. And so I'm going down this path and this path and reaching out for counsel in this area. All I can say is bring them to God. 
Bring them to the master that can take care of each and every one of them. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because his eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth. Looking for a way that he can bring victory to your life, Brother Jaheim. That he can bring victory to your life, Sister Anna. Brother Mike. Every one of us, God is saying every day, how can I lay victory at their feet in this day? How can I solidify myself in the life of each and every one of my children? In Psalms 34 and verse 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. You're not in this alone. We have a word from God that was given Sunday night. As God prophesied through the man of God and gave us the promise, it says what lies before us is the promise. But yet, the reason this message is being delivered tonight is because there are some that still don't believe. We need to all jump on to what God has given to us, what God has delivered for us. There have been some that have gone in wholesale saying, God, whatever it is, whatever it takes, I must be a part of the revival in this church. But it has to be with all of our heart. The reason that I feel God has laid this heart on this message on my heart weeks ago before all of this transpired is to appeal for some that are still on the fringe, still waning. I don't quite know. I can't quite commit. God has given us a word that we can go back and listen to time and time again. He's given us a word. There is no escape from the eyes of the Lord. There is no escape. Whether in the kingdom of your own mind, or the fortress of your own home, the acts of your own person are under the scrutiny of God. But he doesn't do it out of judgment. He does it out of how can I help them? How can I be a God to them? How can I strengthen my children? And just as the entire kingdom of Judah stood before the Lord, every family, it says, even the little ones and their wives and out of the midst of the people, there comes a voice of the Lord through a Levite, through Jehaziel. And he gives the word of the God, word of God unto the people, speaks it boldly after they had presented their case. And Jehoshaphat praised the prayer of transparency. We find that a Levite spoke up and gave them a word from God. And this is the word. He says, the Lord declared that they would not have to fight this battle. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the battle is not yours, but God's. That's the word that was given by the Levite that stood up in the midst of the people with the enemy standing at their door. The word of God came forth and says, don't worry about it. You've caught the attention of the almighty God. I've got this. And they worshiped him. No matter what you're facing, and even more direct, no matter what this church is facing, God has everything under control. The only way out of this place the only way that we'll get out of the place that we're in is in putting it into God's hands and begin to worship Him, not within ourselves or look at me and what I did, but it is to trust in Him. They got the formula right. 
They turned their hearts to God and they got it right. And then that brings us to our text. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. This is the day of battle. This is the appointed time. This is right after the Levite had said, listen, it's the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. There's no telling where the Bible, where God's going to take you in your journey through walking with him and trusting in him. And you may say, why can't I go over there? It looks utopia. Look at the tropical waters and the palm trees. But sometimes God has to take you places so that it's just you and your worship to get his attention. No distractions from this world and the things that are pulling and desires and appeals. And it's just you and God. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets. So shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. That seems very specific. He didn't tell him what to say. He just says, I want singers to sing unto the Lord. And that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And it was those bold people that went out before the army and began to praise and glorify God, saying, Praise the Lord. For his mercy endureth forever. It was those acts that caught the attention of God. In Psalms 29 and verse 2, it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness could be ascribed to mean multiple meanings. Holy adorning for when you are in the presence of the Lord. We look at the consecrated apparel of the priest. It's also of the internal condition of the heart, meaning how one approaches God. And to reverence him with holiness and purity. Now, concerning the appearance, the outward clothing is a symbol of the inward man. Meaning that God desires his people to match the inward with the outward. Be ye holy as I am holy. He's wanting us to take what we have been given, our human bodies, the temple that he has said he will fill with the gift of the Holy Ghost, to take and fill it with his holiness. But it should be a reflection on the outside should match as well. It's worth noting that no costly apparel will ever supersede the holiness of the inward man. You cannot offset your inward impurity by outward holiness. There's nothing you can do to hide that from God. Now you may shield it from man, but it will never, ever be hid from God. But it is this melding together 
of beauty that God seeks. It's the inward man and the outward man that we present to God and let him know I'm serious about the situation, God. I'm serious about serving you. And this is where I would like to give you the title for my message tonight. Victory is worth dressing up for. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and 21 in the ESV version, it says he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. Beauty will cost you. Humility, a perfect heart, it's called upon time and time again in Scripture. The purity of worship without compromise, without even giving any account for the wants and the desires of the flesh, gets the attention of the Almighty God. You can look at the example that is so beautifully shared in the Ark of the Covenant that was brought into Solomon's temple. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 11, it says that when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jedithon, and their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised and with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. It is the pureness of the worship unto a pure and holy God that makes your enemies fall at your feet. It brings the presence of an almighty God. It consumes the human ability to stand in the presence of the glory of God. It's because of how great and glorious he is. But it's our worship that pleases him. It was after they had prepared themselves and says, if we're going to bring it back, we're going to do it right. We're going to get on the fine linens. We're going to get the cymbals and the trumpeters. And we're going to do it in unison. This isn't a one-man show, saints God. This is the presence of God that we want to have feel this house. And when it feels this house, it feels the city. It feels the homes. It feels the community. It's the glory of God that we are unified after. It's unto a pure and holy God. That is why victory is worth dressing up for. It's worth coming together. It's worth being in unison. He fights the battle. He consumes all things. He is my strong tower. He is my fortress. None of which I can do on my own. When everything seems impossible, God is. Your story is not over. Because his people came prepared to pre please God. They dressed the part and acted accordingly. They worshiped him. Here's what's important. They worshiped him before victory was ever given. 
They worshipped him before the first spear was ever thrust. The first arrow was ever flying through the air. The first sword that was ever drawn, there was worship that preceded their victory. The people praised their way to victory. It is worth dressing up for victory, saints. At verse 22, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord, not Jehoshaphat, not anyone else, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. The three enemies that in verse 1 come and says, we're coming to destroy you. We find that the Lord came on the scene when they began to sing and to praise. If you want victory, it doesn't mean you just clap your hands and jump and shout in this moment. But you take it from service to service. Day after day, you say, God, you have fought every battle for me before. I'm not going to lean on the people who's been there and want to get my ear and point me away from you. But you are my Lord and you are my God. Your worship will bring your victory. And it says that he set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. The same people that they had been told, don't touch, don't take their lands, that wasn't given to you. I've got something else for you. The same people that if they had been disobedient unto the voice of God, they could have went and no doubt afflicted these armies and made them even lesser than what they were that came against them. But here's the story. God says, leave them alone. I've got a victory that'll blow your mind. They're going to grow in strength. They're going to grow in number. You wanted to take them one by one. I'm going to have all three come after you at the same time. And if you'll just worship me, I'll give you victory. And it says in verse 23, For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. They didn't even have to do anything but worship. All they had to do was worship. They didn't have to get out there and pull bloody bodies off the battlefield. They didn't have to go out there and, and sling stones and throw and, and shoot arrows and throw spears and, and lose family member after family member and neighbor after member, member and, 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 and sit there and see their tribe dwindle in the hands of their enemy. But instead they were made great and victorious through their worship. You may have had to shut your mouth and walk away from your enemy, but there will be a day, a day that the Lord chooses when the enemy will fall on themselves and the victory that you dressed up for will be at your feet. It's that help that God can give us in this very moment, in this day. Whether you're sitting here today or whether you're listening online or even in the future, listening to the recorded service, that very same help that's available to the saints of God is available to every sinner. Everyone who's walked through the door and says, I have no answers. All you got to do is trust in him. That very same help that was given unto Judah is available today. 
Just as Judah came with worship and their hearts pointed to God, all that come to God need to have their same frame of mind and say, listen, I know there's some requirements. I've come and I've prepared myself. I want to commit myself unto his ways. You may say, well, I don't really understand. Well, there's some New Testament verses of Scripture that we'll use to help. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's a way you can get the Spirit of the Lord on your side and in your corner fighting your battles. It was promised to us in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus opened the understanding of the apostles and told them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. That to me tells me there's help on the way. That Holy Ghost that was promised by Jesus Christ himself to the apostles to tarry at Jerusalem is in this place tonight. It's in every service we come together. Every prayer meeting, the children of God come together and cry out to him. That same help is here. That same help was promised and was delivered. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. That seems to be a theme. you got to come as one. Because just as the children of Judah had to come in and worship God as one, just as the children of Israel had to bring back the Ark of the Covenant and worship as one, the children of God came together and they were one place and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Help is here, saints. Help is in the house. It's worth dressing up for victory. It's worth doing the right thing. And that same help is available to no matter what your soul's condition is, whether it be black as sin or what you think may be pure and you're struggling. God can reach in and help you today. But you got to commit. You can't walk out of this house satisfied with smelling like smoke. you got to say, burn within me the word of God. Let the Holy Ghost fire burn within me. And it didn't stop them. The appropriate response is in verse 37. And we could all quote this. And we all can testify that it's true. Because I've sat in an apostolic church and gripped a pew with my knuckles white with conviction. And my heart was pricked within me. And eventually there came a day where I said, I'm committed. No matter what it takes. And just as those men asked Peter, I myself had to ask, what must I do to be saved? And the same response that Peter gave applies today. Because I can ask all of us, a cloud of witnesses that have assembled together, 
to testify of the greatness of God. What must I do to be saved? And the answer is in verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I sat there as a young man watching people tell my grandparents and my, my father and every other minister sitting in the church when I was a young man in Bonner Springs, tell them speaking in tongues is of the devil. I can tell you, I can refute that with scripture for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. It's upon you. It's upon me to pursue after an almighty God. Victory is worth dressing up for. It's worth putting in the effort. It's worth going in the extra mile. It's worth doing the right thing. It's worth obeying the word of God. Reminded of a song as we stand tonight. I don't know all the words that just entered my head. And there's a song that it says, come on over to the winning side. We're following Jesus. And it says, in the banners held high, we're God's mighty army. And it's telling us to come on over. I would encourage anyone who's wavering, anyone who's weak, anyone who has doubts in their mind, find you a place to pray. Find you a place where you say, God, I come as one. I come to join together. I come to commit. I bring my worship unto you. And watch the help of the Lord come upon your side. As you bring your problems to God, no matter what cards the world has dealt you, God's got victory because I know this for a reason because it says his eyes are searching to and fro looking for ways to bring victory in each and every one of our lives. Can we lift our hands and worship him? Hallelujah. I worship you, master. You are holy. You are holy, savior. You are holy. I magnify you. I bring you glory and honor before the battle's being fought. I worship you, Savior. You've got victory for us. You promised it to us. Hallelujah. I worship you, Savior. Oh. Hallelujah, I trust your word, Savior. Oh, if you've got a need tonight, now would be the time to present it unto God. Worship him to your need. Let him know how great he is. No matter what it is, God can be here to solve it for you. His presence is here with us tonight. great God. I magnify you, Savior. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 
I worship you, Savior, I worship you. God, you bring victory. Hallelujah, you bring victory, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.